My body is just the vehicle that carries my brain around. And my brain deserves a smooth, luxurious ride. Maybe the sun. Well, welcome to the Harmacast. Thanks for tuning into the show today. It is uh, mid-June, and we are a couple days away from Harmony College East uh, down in uh, Salisbury, Maryland, and two weeks away from the Barbershop Harmony Society's International Convention in Philadelphia. So uh, I will be at both places, and if you uh, find me there, I'll sing a tag or polecat or some other song that we can uh, surely butcher together. Today's interview is with uh, Ken Fass, who is the producer of the Choir of the World concert that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now, and uh, actually a lot of buzz around the barbershop community just because of the size of the show and the uh, talent that's uh, being represented. So uh, uh, stick around for that coming up here in a couple minutes. I have mentioned for several weeks now that this is an interactive show. You can communicate uh, with me by leaving a comment on the website, harmacast.com. Uh, contact me via Skype, uh, just uh, Skype Ideas Harmacast or call 703-794-2730. Leave a comment or voicemail or some kind of question or whatever. And uh, indeed, several of you have. I picked out the best one for, uh, for this week. So uh, here goes. Hi, Dean. I'm loving the Harmacasts. I'm new to Barbershop too, and it helps to hear all the experienced guys you have on your show. My name is Jordan Truesdale, and I'm a member of the Roanoke Valley Chapter, the Virginia Gentleman. I've been recording our rehearsals to help us get better, and I'm interested to hear more about your videotaping and the self-review process you use in the harmonizers. My main questions are, how often do you do the video reviews? How do you get the videos out to each member? What goes into each self-review? And how difficult is it to get all the guys to do the self-evaluations? Thanks again for doing the Harmacast. I enjoy listening to each one. Hopefully... I'll get to see you at Harmony College. I hope to see you too also, Jordan. And to answer your easy question first, how do we distribute the videos? The um, uh, the chorus actually uses the flip video cameras, which are you can pick up for a couple hundred bucks online. And along with those, there is an upload service that's free. And um, like heading into contests now, you know, the last uh, two months, basically, we've been uh, recording the contest set at the end of rehearsal, uh, which hopefully it's uh, at its best quality for that week. And whoever's uploading, whoever's in charge of the cameras, uh, splits the uh, file in half so that they can upload the four different views of the ballad to one email and send it out. And, uh, of course, you just click on that, and you can go and watch your your particular quadrant of the chorus. And um, then you know, they upload the uptune, the four different views of the uptune, and uh, distribute that via another email. Uh, as far as how often we record, uh, of course, there's all, almost always something recorded every week heading into contest. It's the contest set. But there's always uh, a song or two with new visual plans that need uh, work. And um, that gives each of us a chance to, to work on stuff through the work on visual stuff through the week and see how, uh, how bad or how good we, uh, we look individually in, in the chorus. As far as the evaluation process, uh, both on the visual and vocal side, it's a self-evaluation process. You're, you're expected to watch the video and rate yourself on uh, several criteria, five different criteria on the visual side, um, and and then report back to you or you send that into uh, a central email address and your quad leader then pulls that down and, and looks at it and makes sure that you are seeing the same thing that he's seeing. But uh, it's basically moves and focals um, are expected to be... Um, 
you know, no mistakes. Uh, if you, if you were going to pass that express, everything else is, you know, understanding that everyone is at a different level to start with. Um, I think somebody made the statement early on that, uh, nobody's going to pass the first time. Everyone's expected to send in a baseline evaluation and then improve from that point. So moves and focals, no mistakes, uh, expression, emotion, um, is another criteria that you rate yourself on energy and consistency, uh, unity and visual blend. And then finally precision and sync. And you just rate yourself on a, uh, on a bar graph and then, um, make some comments underneath that. And it's, it's, uh, I think it's a very fair process. It really puts the impetus of, uh, responsibility back on the individual chorus member and really only relies on the uh, quad leader to, uh, kind of keep you in check. So I hope that was helpful, Jordan, and thanks for the feedback and the questions and comments. So. Oh, my heart's in a world over one little girl. I love her, I love her, yes I do, although her heart is far away. Well, we are pleased to have on the show today a longtime barbershopper and harmonizer since 1991. I think Ken's been a barbershopper since 1980. But Ken Fess has, is a producer for the Choir of the World concert, and I've been fascinated by this show ever since I first heard about it, either uh, toward the end of last year or the beginning of this year. I forget what, what the exact time frame, but uh, it was planned long before that, of course. But I wanted to find out some more details about what went into the planning for this show and what it takes to pull off a uh, show of this size or uh, any uh, successful show for that matter. So I wanted to talk to Ken and find out exactly what goes into uh, this. So, Ken, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Dean. Nice to meet you. Well, Ken, I just wanted to spend a little time today talking about the Choir of the World concert uh, coming up June 27th, and also maybe some general information about planning, you know, what it takes to plan for a show of this magnitude. This show was big when I first heard about it uh, toward the end of last year, the beginning of this year, and, and uh, you kept adding <laughs> some headlining quartets uh, as it went along, and so uh, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And you know what? What was the original uh, inception of the show? Uh, who decided to uh, to start planning this thing? And how did you ever decide to uh, volunteer to be the uh, producer for it? Well, I've I've been a producer with a harmonizer since about 1996, uh, and producing several shows. And I was the the tech and show producer of the harmonizers from uh, 1996 till about 2002 during which time I produced uh, something over uh, 80, 80, 85 shows. Oh my uh, That's an incredible uh, number right there. Uh, that just seems almost impossible to, to me to think of <laughs> in those terms. <laughs> when you say... Well, when you, when, you think, when you think about the fact that the harmonizers will, in a typical year, I guess, will we'll do somewhere between 10 and 12 shows. Uh, and in an extraordinary year, like when we won the gold medal a couple of times, uh, we've done more than, much more than the 12. But even if it was 12, you'd figure that just over a seven-year period of time, that's about 75 shows right there. So, you know, in, in aggregate, it sounds like a lot, but it was a long time, too. Uh, in any event, Joe asked me, Joe Cerruti, our director, asked me to produce our annual show last year in 2009, and I did that. Uh, as a result of that experience, when this show emerged, he came to me and, and asked me to consider producing the show. Uh, and after some thought, I did do that. 
Now, this will probably sound dumb on my part, but you mentioned package show, and that's probably a term everyone else knows, but uh, for my sake, what does that mean? Uh, package shows are the paid shows that we get from the programmatic chapters or from business organizations or whatever. Like what we call package shows are shows where we get a fee for the show as opposed to community shows or such, which we would do for free. Well, Ken, I, I know that you, you mentioned Joe had asked you to produce this show sometime last year, and I can't imagine it was anything approaching this magnitude from the start. It's kind of like the uh, turn into the Borg. It keeps assimilating more and more quartets every uh, every couple of weeks. Uh, a while back, it seemed like you were adding another uh, A-level quartet or champion quartet to the, uh, to the show roster. Um, what was the germination process? How did this thing ever uh, get started? Well, uh, Joe Cerruti, our director, was out at uh, Harmony College last summer and uh, ran into Justin Miller, the director of Westminster. And uh, and in their conversation, Joe suggested that since Westminster was coming out to Philadelphia for this year's international convention, they might want to consider uh, dropping by Washington, D.C., uh, seeing the city and and possibly doing a joint show. Uh, Justin Miller was very enthusiastic about the idea, and uh, and we started trading emails almost immediately between harmonizers in Westminster. Actually, at the time, I was on the Barbershop Harmony Society's uh, annual trip to Russia with Greg Lyon and his courses, along with the Old School Quartet. Uh, and when Joe uh, let me know about the, uh, the show and asked me what I considered doing it uh, as a producer, I mentioned it to uh, Joe Conley, who, I, who I've known for a number of years, and uh, and he immediately asked me, he said, well, how can we get on that show? Uh, which, which we weren't even considering quartets, actually. And so I said, well, sure. I said, there won't be much money, but yeah, sure. And he said, no problem. So old school was in hand almost immediately. And then when I came back from Russia, Joe and I sat down and thought about, well, what other quartets might we want on the show? And we came up with a list that was basically built on the top 20 finishers last year. We just went through the list and just and, and tried to decide who would, would best fit. Uh, and then I sent invitations out to uh, about 12 or 13 quartets including last year's champion Crossroads and, and also to the Sea Times from the year before that. The interesting thing was that when these quartets responded, they were in many cases they were a little bit cautious at first, but then when I told them that Old School was on the, on the program uh, and it would be really interesting to, to have them do their contest set next to Old School, they almost all just jumped at the chance. <laughs> so, so it was... It was actually pretty easy to to close the deal on on all of this. And out of the out of all the quartets we asked, we got actually seven. We got roughly half of them that I had asked to to agree to do the, the show. And then subsequent to that, after Max Factor had done their stint on the Sing Out show on TV, we asked them uh, to join the show. And uh, and then finally, a new quartet out of Sweden uh, from a from a chorus called the Kelsinger Boys asked to come, and we have had a long-standing, the harmonizers have had a long-standing relationship with the Hellsinger boys, and uh, and so we agreed after hearing their tapes. So, so that's how it, that's how we built from from old school in Westminster to now nine quartets. And <laughs> so what I hear you saying is, that, Ken, that you kind of played off everyone's competitive juices and baited them in with old school and OC times. Well, I, in, in large part, yes. The answer to that question is yes. They, they were, they were uh, once I had old school, and then, and then, then the next people I talked to was OC times, 
who of course, since they're members of Westminster, they would most of them, except for for Sean, would have been here anyway. Again, once once they knew old schools on the show, Sean Devine said, "Absolutely, we're in. I don't care. I don't care what the details are. We're in." And then with old school and, and OC Times in my pocket, then I go to uh, to Wingmasters and Musical Island Boys and some of these others, and 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 they go, "Are you kidding me? To be on a show with those quartets and that chorus? Absolutely." So they just jumped in. Yeah. Well, Ken, if you don't mind, I'd like to take a more uh, you know, generic tack and ask you a question about the planning and budget process. I've been involved in a couple different courses before the Harmonizers, and uh, I was a chapter president, so I've been involved in the budget process on, a, on a, one or two annual shows. And, you know, most smaller courses are... Um, are lucky to pull the budget uh, numbers together for one top-level quartet, and you have many <laughs> in this one. So what does the planning process look like? What's the budget process look like? How far in advance do you have to look at things? And, uh, you know, I'd like to you know find out what your planning process looks like in uh, planning a successful show. Well, for major shows like uh, like this or, or your annual shows that the chapters would put on, uh, I believe that you, you need to start planning at least a year, uh, year to a year and a half out of, from the date you intend to put on the show. That's largely because uh, there are certain things that you need to get done early enough uh, in a process to ensure the success of the show, and, and those things are... Um, getting a venue established of the size that you want uh, to attract uh, the audience and to, and to sell out the show, uh, to to set up a marketing plan so that you that you take advantage of events over the course of a year to advertise your show, uh, and to book uh, whatever talent you're planning to bring onto the show. Uh, usually, top ten quartets or top 10 courses, for that matter, have very busy performance schedules, and you need to book them well in advance. Additionally, if you're going to do a, an annual show and, you are, and you're selecting music to fit a certain theme for that show, uh, you need to give your chorus time to, to learn the show. Uh, for example, the Spring Tonic that I did last year, we had seven new numbers and five numbers that we had previously retired, but which we brought back for the show. So, so really the chorus, many in the chorus, had to learn 12 songs, well, it would have been unfair to make them try to do that in two or three months, so, but over a 12-month period of time, it was possible. So so that's why you need to, to really plan well, well in advance. Uh, on top of that, you have to work your budget consistent with you know the financial capabilities of your chapter. So you have to give your, your budget people plenty of advance notice about what something's going to cost. In this case, for example, for this Choir of the World show, the total uh, budget for this show is uh, about three times our normal budget uh, in expenses. That necessitated us getting a larger venue and being able to so we could get enough revenue to cover those expenses plus some reasonable profit, and to give us time to work the contracts and work on the different deals that we had in order to provide for the venue and for the travel and for the hotels and all that other kind of stuff. So. Uh, it's critical that, that you do that well, well, well in advance, and 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 then to brief that to your chapter leadership, your music leadership, and your and your chapter leadership, so that they're all on board from the beginning. Now, is your budget kind of a working document? In other words, do you start with uh, proposed expenses and proposed income, and then, of course, as you added quartets, your expenses increased on this show. 
uh, when you finally decided on a venue, you knew what the um, how many tickets, how many seats you had to sell. Uh, and then I guess eventually you decide that, uh, you know, this is our final expenses. So this is what our tickets uh, price is going to have to be. Uh, how do you how does that document uh, progress? Well, in this case, we knew that we knew there was going to be a big show, even even if it was just those two courses to begin with. Um, uh, so we were planning from the beginning to to have a larger a larger venue than usual. That is to say, this venue has about 2,000 seats. Normally, the harmonizers would, would do their shows in venues that seated about uh, 1,000 to 1,200. But on point to your question, all shows, I don't care what they are, all shows have some basic expenses that you're going to pay. You're going to pay for the venue. You're going to pay for advertising and marketing. Uh, you're going to pay for your program and, and all of that. You're going to pay for, if you bring talent in for the show, you're going to pay for that uh, to include travel expenses. Uh, and, you know, you're going to pay for ticket pro- the ticket process, either whether you do it yourself or somebody else does it, you're paying for that. So there's some sort of basic things. Uh, in the case of this particular show, there were additional expenses associated with uh, many more quartets than usual. And, and also... Um, because they're coming here uh, at the time they are, we are not only offering them to be on the show, but we're going to help them uh, sightsee around in Washington D.C. for a day. So there's those associated expenses. So, but but you just really add all that up. Uh, you know what the expenses are, and then you know that you have an auditorium that will seat 2,000 people, and you say, okay, what? First of all, what do we need? Uh, to meet our expenses. So let's just say for sake of argument that, that the expenses all added up to $25,000. Well, then you're going to have to sell, well, I'm not a great mathematician here, but you know, that's roughly whatever, that's a little over, that's like $10, $12 a ticket, $15 a ticket. Then you say to yourself, well, will I have trouble selling $15 tickets to, to get to the show? <laughs> no. I mean, people will pay much more than that. Uh, for this kind of talent. So then you, so then you look at, well, what, what makes sense? Uh, we actually used uh, the shows that they put on at International as a sort of guide for us in this case. You know, what what does it cost to go see an AIC show? What does it cost to go see a World Harmony Jamboree show or whatever? And and we sort of priced our tickets uh, based on that, uh, which which uh, and then we manipulated the the budget so that uh, we made our the amount of money that we wanted to make uh, on the show to make it worthwhile for the chapter. And Ken, as a producer for the harmonizers, uh, how much uh, how much input do you have on what's happening on the show? You know, sometimes you, there's show producers who are kind of producers in name only, or the show committee or some other board uh, decides what's happening, and the producer just does the dirty work. But how much input do you have in the, the quartet time allotments, chorus time allotments, what's the order of the show, who the MC is going to be? Um, how do you decide that what's coming across the stage is going to be uh, something that's truly entertaining? You know, one of the things about harmonizer shows, I've been to a number now, is that you guys really respect your audience's uh, time and that uh, there's n- nothing coming across the stage that's not entertaining. There's not a lot of white space in the show. Uh, tell me a little bit about it from from the harmonizers and, and you as a producer, how much of that do you have a hand in? Um, well, in my case, I have almost total control. Uh, I think that's a measure of uh, the respect that the board and in the music committee and the show committee uh, have because of my experience. Uh, but even for more novice 
producers, they, they have quite a bit of freedom. We, we, we try in harmonizers to promote creativity on the part of the, of the producers, uh, and so we try to give them as much leeway as possible. In my case, uh, I'm, I am, I think, if not the most experienced, one of two or three of the most experienced producers in the chapter. So, so the board and the vice presidents for music and for show pretty much said, you know, just let us know if you need anything. Uh, that said, I briefed the board of directors uh, last summer uh, on the show to, to give a layout of what, it, what the scope of it was going to be and what the cost of it was going to be and uh, what, kind of, what kind of revenue they should expect to see from the show and, and that sort of thing. And then I have briefed the music committee and the show committee approximately every two months since then. Uh, and, and, of course, kept the vice presidents up to date in, in between. You know, so from that point of view, from the point of view, of, or I'm sorry, from the point of view of the chapter involvement, from the leadership side, I, I don't, I just keep them informed, basically. From the point of view of production, because of my experience, I know some some basics. I mean, I know that a typical quartet, uh, three-song set, is going to be somewhere around 10 minutes. I know that a that a typical uh, chorus set of of let's say uh, five songs or something like that. Uh, is going to be about 18 minutes. I just know that from experience. Not every song is three minutes, some are less and some are more, but on average, that's, that's the reality. And I use that timing uh, until, I, until I actually see the songs that are going to be sung, and then I get a better, then I can, I can tighten up the timing of the show. Uh, and yes, you're right. I, I, I hate white space on a show, and so I, I, make, I try to make sure when I design the show that, there's, that the audience never has more than a few seconds uh, of time before either they're listening to an MC or an introduction to a song or they're listening to an actual performance. Uh, and and uh, people who know me will tell you that I run a really tight ship backstage to make sure that the show runs uh, tight. You know, uh, Dean, uh, back in 1996, uh, when I was uh, first first became the uh, Peckett Show producer, uh, Jerry Geis was our artistic director, and, uh, and she had a lot of experience in theater, and also uh, had a lot of, to do with barbershop, and taught me a lot about how the various pieces of show production and, uh, and song selection and all that came together in one package. Well, Ken, you mentioned a little bit ago the venue, uh, George Mason University, and um, when I had first heard about the show several months ago, uh, I just uh, went online right away and uh, you know saw the lineup. I knew that it was good seats were going to sell out early, and so went online and bought like a block of ten tickets to um, you know sell to friends and family or give away uh, to some of them or whatever. But uh, you know looking online, the the theater looks like an incredible uh, incredible place to have a show. Is it a is it a, this a theater you've used before? And if not, what's the process look like for? Uh, Choosing uh, a venue for uh, for a show of this type. Well, there's two questions there. Let me answer the second one because uh, I think it's important that you that you fit the auditorium to your expectations for the show, both in terms of uh, the production and the attendance. Uh, if you're expecting a seven or eight hundred people to come to your show, you should not book a, a two thousand seat auditorium because the audience will get lost in the auditorium. I mean, you should book a, an auditorium that has maybe, you know, 800, 900,000 seats, and then they'll be pretty much filled in, in the house you're singing to. In this case, because we we were figuring that, that if we had a 2,000-seat auditorium, we would stand a good chance of coming close, at least, to selling that out. I started looking around. Uh, it may amaze a lot of people to know that in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, there are very few 
auditoriums which will seat 2,000 or more people. And, and actually, there's about a half a dozen in the immediate Washington area, uh, George Mason University being one of them. In each instance, uh, I, I, went, I either went online or I actually went to the, the venue and got information about them, what their capabilities were, their, their backstage, whether it was union or not, and uh, just the process it would take to produce a show there, and then uh, and got their costs. Um, and then did a spreadsheet and listed all that stuff and all the lights and the sound and the technical support and the backstage rooms and the stage dimensions and the lighting capabilities and the sound capabilities and such and, and put up a spreadsheet and then I took a look at that compared to the cost and then uh, boiled it down to a couple. I went out and looked at, uh, in this case, for example, I went down and looked at the uh, Constitution Hall, which is downtown, and then I looked at the George Mason University. Both facilities were, were terrific and had all kinds of capabilities, but GMU was uh, about half the cost of the Constitution Hall uh, and fully met our requirements. Um, and you're right, uh, this this venue is fantastic. I, when I was there, I, I happened to be at the very back of the balcony uh, uh, of the auditorium, and there was something going on on stage that, that had nothing to do with me, but I could clearly hear the people talking, and they were just talking in a normal voice, and I could hear them clearly. And I thought, wow, I mean, that's like incredible acoustics. And, and I have to say that George Mason University's uh, staff has been incredibly cooperative and, uh, and flexible uh, in dealing with all the different things that we've had to deal with. Uh, uh, I'm sure this is a venue that we'll use again in the future. Now, I saw that you're also planning to do a webcast of the show. The uh, venue is pretty much sold out at this point. There are a few uh, seats left. But uh, if someone is not in the area looking to uh, looking to view the webcast, uh, we'll have uh, details for the link to, to uh, purchase that. But what kind of planning went into place to make the webcast happen? Uh, well, we actually we actually inaugurated our our uh, experiment with webcasting last fall on our show, and it was uh, moderately successful. And during the discussions, early discussions on this show, we we thought about whether we should webcast the show, particularly since we have groups that are coming from New Zealand uh, and Sweden. We thought there might be a, a fan base back there that would like to see the show. So we we started the wheels in motion to to try to put together a webcast in case we. Had the house sold out at a, at, you know, at about a 75 or 80 percent level. Uh, we reached that mark uh, last week, and so we're moving ahead with the webcast. Interested people can go onto the Harmonizer website to get the details. But, uh, but basically, you you sign up for the webcast, and I believe the cost is 25 dollars uh, for the uh, show, which is going to run about probably about two hours and 30, two hours and 40 minutes. Well, Ken, we've pretty much hit on all the questions that I had about this show specifically and more generally about planning a successful uh, show. But uh, if you had to, to boil it down to maybe three or four bullet points or, uh, or items that uh, need to be, uh, that are critical to planning a successful show, uh, what would those items be? I don't know if that's possible, but if you, could, uh, if you could do that, what would those items be? Well, it goes back to a few things I mentioned earlier, I think. You have to have the time to plan for the show. You need to plan well, well in advance for a show. You cannot... You cannot take your current repertoire and sort of jam it into some sort of a, of a scenario in the last two or three months. You need to take the time to develop a theme, to develop a, 
a script and to develop, uh, you know, what music you're going to sing on the show and all that. That all takes time. You also need the time, as I mentioned earlier, uh, to secure talent and venue and uh, to set up your marketing plan so that you can market your show uh, at, you know, at district events, at division events, at international events that may take place uh, within the time frame before you can actually put on your show. So I, I think that that, as we used to say in the military, you know, that, that prior planning uh, prevents pathetic performance. I mean, you have to take the time to do it well in advance. I would say one other thing which we have not discussed, but I, I think the other key to the successful productions I have is get as much of the chapter involved as possible. I I have on this on this show, I have probably around 30 people, 30, 35 people who are directly contributing to the production of the show in one way or another, from marketing to transportation to logistics to uh, handling the quartets and so on. So so that's the other thing. If you get a lot of the, the chapter involved in the production of the show, then you're much more likely to get them to sell tickets for the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, getting uh, that many people involved, it's it would take some uh, some incredible administrative uh, skills. Is is that really the key to uh, to being a good producer? Is that is that really where your skill sets lie in administration? Absolutely. You, you you need to you need to set up you know set up your your schedules and your and your requirements and and then use people or let you know let people do their work and and keep them praised and, and make sure that they're coming back to you with whatever critical decisions have to be made uh, and you and you can hold this you know you hold the purse strings and you hold the the contract strings or whatever but but uh, but basically everybody you know they'll do a good job it's it's a matter of uh, coordination and and constantly checking I mean I I probably I probably for the show that's going on now I probably do I'd guess 30 or 40 emails uh, a week to just get status on things or find out what's going on or find out what your travel plans are or whatever. So I'm I'm constantly communicating with with in one in one way or another all the players in the show and and I think that's key. Uh, so that you know what's going on, and you can and you can address issues when they pop up. Yeah, well, I I interviewed Max Factor uh, a couple days ago, and uh, they are jazzed about the the show and looking really looking forward to it. I'm sure the other quartets are also, and I know the harmonizers are looking forward to it. So, uh, appreciate your time today, Ken. And uh, is there anything else that uh, you'd like to share that maybe I missed? Uh, no, I think we've we've covered a lot of ground here, uh, uh, but uh, and, I, and thanks for the time for for the interview. It was, uh, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, uh, and and it's uh, and it's a fun job. I mean, I like doing it. I, I would have produced <laughs> I produced eighty five percent eighty five plus shows if I didn't enjoy it. So yeah, I agree. I agree. If you did eighty five plus shows and uh, didn't enjoy it, that would be a painful thing. So, but uh, <laughs> well, I knew you were doing a great job with this show. I just had no idea you had done so many others uh, over the years. Again, I appreciate your time today, Ken, and uh, looking forward to uh, June. 27th, uh, 2 in the afternoon. Uh, looking forward to a great show. All right. Thanks a lot, Dean. Appreciate it. Sure thing, Ken. We'll see you. Have a good day. Thanks again for tuning into the Harmacast. If you would like more information about the Choir of the World concert, 
or information about how to subscribe to the webcast if you're out of the area. I'll have links on the show notes on the website, harmocast.com. And, of course, we would like to hear from you. Input, questions, anything you would like to uh, contribute to the show, we would uh, love to include it. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing.